This is the Arab Street Radio and Podcast. I'm Ray Hanania. I do two podcasts, this one on the Middle East and another on mainstream American politics. Thank you for listening to this podcast where we talk about issues in the Middle East, Palestine, Israel, and American policies. You can get more information on all of my podcasts by visiting www.hanania.com. And good morning, everybody. It's Friday, December 11, 2020, and this is the Ray Hanania Show, and I am Ray Hanania, special U.S. correspondent and op-ed columnist for the Arab News newspaper, Suburban Chicagoland, and the ArabDailyNews.com, including the Southwest News Herald newspaper group in Chicago, if anybody cares about American politics in uh, the Midwest. I don't know. Our show is brought to you every Tuesday Uh, Second Tuesday of the month at 8 a.m. in Detroit, 1 p.m. London, 3 p.m. Jerusalem, 4 p.m. Riyadh, 5 p.m. Dubai on the U.S. Arab Radio Network on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, Michigan. I'm based in Chicago. Our show is simulcast live on the U.S. Arab Radio Facebook page this morning at facebook.com slash U.S. Arab Radio which they'll probably censor me because that's going to be a topic we're going to be talking about today. The U.S. Arab Radio Network was launched in 2005 by journalist and radio network founder Leila Al-Husseini in an effort to energize and empower Arab Americans. Um, and for the next uh, couple months, I'll just be on the second Tuesday of every month. Uh, but beginning in the new year, I'll be back on every Wednesday morning, plus the second Tuesday, plus filling in. Uh, or the second Friday, plus filling in on Fridays. Again, we got a great guest, <laughs> Alicia Sperry. She writes about justice, immigration, and civil rights. Um, she's reported from Palestine, Haiti, El Salvador, Colombia, and across the U.S. She's originally from Italy, which explains the beautiful name, uh, and, but lives in the Bronx, which is, raises a lot of questions. <laughs> Although, you know, I love New York. It's a beautiful place. She is one of the writers with The Intercept, Uh, who wrote a really interesting article that I thought we would talk about this morning. Zoom censorship of Palestine seminars sparks fight over academic freedom. And that was co-authored with Sam Biddle. Alice, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank How you so are much you for doing? having me. I'm doing uh, well, thank you. <laughs> I, it's the, you know, I, I used to do radio all the time, and I would just walk up to the mic and start talking. But in today's age, we have to do everything. Be the producer from Chicago, the connection. We were trying to get the sound right. Um, all this is radio verite. It's just the regular part of being um, part of uh, our new uh, technology and communication system. Tell us about now. Of course, you know at, what's interesting is I'm trying to get us on uh, the uh, Facebook. Oh, there it is. Let me just get this. Facebook, oh wow, Barry talks about censorship. Ah, jeez, we're going to go live. I just want to make sure we're live on that Facebook page. And yeah, it's setting up. <laughs> yeah, I know, I think we are finally going there. So, Alice, tell us about uh, how bad is the censorship? I mean, obviously, I'm joking around a little bit here with typical problems that we have with technology. But, you know, when we talk about censorship, we're really talking about something that goes beyond technology. It goes to the right of you and me to have a discussion in a country that is founded on the idea that we could talk about anything we want. But in reality, it doesn't sound like we can. What is the reality that you found? I think there's a reality and then there is the reality that we found ourselves in this year because of the pandemic where pretty much all of our communication, all of our work, all of our schooling is happening online and it is happening almost entirely on, you know, a handful of private platforms. So, you know, we do have certainly very strong constitutional protections in the US. We have a very strong culture of free speech, but then we also have, you know, the rights of private companies to do as they say fit. And, uh, and when private companies are kind of dominating the, you know, the entirety of our public discourse at this moment in, in the pandemic, then these two kind of values come into conflict. And that's really what happened in, in the story I wrote about here. 
And just for the general big picture, when we talk about a company like Facebook, we are talking about a private company, correct? I mean, it's not, this is like a new uh, uh, region of interest. It's not a utility that's governed by a government, and it's not a, uh, uh, like, news media in a real sense. Um, It's somewhere kind of in between. Um, What kind of special problems have you seen with social media like Facebook when it comes to, hey, uh, Alice, Ray Hanania, we want you to use our system so we can milk you for every piece of information you've ever had in your life and profit from it. And of course, I willingly do that because I'm dumb and I don't understand what the heck is going on with social media. And pretty soon um, I post something and they just block it. I don't even know they block it sometimes until they block it or someone points it out. Um, how do they get away with that? I mean, and is it that simple that we're talking about or is it a bigger issue? I think what, what's happened here and, you know, we're talking about Facebook, but it, the story is about Zoom and there are issues with Twitter. I mean, this is kind of an issue that has happened across platforms is that this large tech platforms for a long time pitched themselves as just that, just platforms. And they said, you know, all we're doing is offering a space for these conversations to happen. We are not in the business of moderating content. We are not in the business of shutting people down. And of course, inevitably, whenever you have speech and you have discourse, you have speech and discourse that people don't like and uh, and kind of debate around that and and campaigns and, and pressure to shut down some of that speech. And so then we've seen over the years, Facebook and Twitter and others kind of insert themselves into the platform and, and begin to moderate content. The way they have done that is, of course, you know, a big topic and there's much room for debate there, whether it's been done um, kind of equitably and, uh, and, and who has it been done by and with, sort of on what authority and on what, with, you know, with what kind of expertise is definitely a question. I mean, we have seen that in a number of contexts, most certainly the election recently, um, we've seen all these notices that Twitter, for instance, has started posting on, you know, the president's tweets that weren't there uh, a few years ago. So like, it's very much a conversation that's changing. And I think this large tech companies are kind of trying to figure out what, you know, what the role is and, uh, Possibly, you know, they're a little late to that question, I think. But um, and I don't think they've always made the right choices. And don't they have kind of social media? I've heard this, and I've just recently learned this. I've been in journalism forty years. I never knew this existed. But don't they have like a special protection from the government that says, "Hey, uh, you can operate and allow the public, like uh, Leachy Sperry and Ray Hanania, to say whatever they want, but you're not responsible for what they say. They're responsible for what they say. You just get to milk them for every piece of information that might be of value to you, and you can profit from it. So then they decide to censor you or censor me." Um, but what is that protection about? Does that play into this at all? And is there some risk that uh, that might be removed? Should it be removed? Does it make it more responsible? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you might want to talk to people that are more kind of you know, civil rights experts and attorneys and people that have spent more time thinking about this. As a journalist, I mean, I think we all kind of have this love-hate relationship with all of you know, social media where right. you know, all of our work inevitably ends up there it is really not the only way for us to get our work out but certainly the most significant and at the same time it is you know kind of out of our hands once it's on social media we do get a lot of pushback and, and journalists have palestinian journalists in particular have been censored by facebook and others um sort of inconsistently like and i think that's kind of the big issue here is that there isn't really a central protocol i mean all of these companies have um uh, policies that they refer to, but they're very ambiguous, really. There isn't like a, a sort of consistent uh, across the industry uh, rule book when it comes to what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable speech. And because we don't have that, what happens is that these companies at any given time just respond to whoever the loudest, uh, you know, complainer is, basically. So when when you have this really kind of strong, large well-funded, coordinated campaigns to go after someone, go after a journalist or go after um, a group that's, you know, using social media to to share their views. What it really boils down to at the end of the day is how powerful is the opposition to these voices? It, it's not necessarily Facebook or in the case of the story, Zoom, that's going out there kind of searching for content to search, to censor. They are responding to outrage by certain groups. They're responding to 
uh, to criticisms. And, and as the story points out, there are entire groups, there's like basically an industry of, in, in this case, Zionist pro-Israel groups that are extremely well organized and well funded, whose entire reason to exist is to kind of, you know, scout out this content and then build up these campaigns and put a lot of pressures on on Facebook and Zoom and others. And, uh, you know, this is obviously not something that's that happens in the Israel-Palestine context only, but it is certainly a good example of, of what's and, and it's. And it seems like we're only aware of this when it happens to us. Right. You know, being Palestinian, I see how sometimes I'm censored. I see how sometimes friends of mine are censored. Um, it's not just Facebook or Twitter. It could be many of the social media. It seems like they pick and choose what's right and what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. And it's almost as if they're making a commentary about me when they mm-hmm. censor me. But they're basically saying I'm bad. And I'm thinking, why am I bad? You know, I've probably done more for this country than they ever did. Zuckerberg never served in the military. I mean, I'm not proud of it, but in a way I am because I shove it in the face of everybody who criticizes me and say, hey, go back to your country. And I go, my country's the south side of Chicago. So, but it just seems like uh, there's no regulation of censorship anymore. It's like, I could censor you. You, I could turn your mic off right now without even telling you, and you wouldn't even know it. There's something wrong with that, isn't there? It's absolutely, it's completely arbitrary. It is done, you know, it, there is no rule. There is no kind of transparent set of guidelines that, you know, there are this, again, as I said earlier, there are these policies that companies have that are completely vague. You know, they talk about kind of like um, the, the level of speech that's accepted, but they're, they're, they never really get into the specific. And I think that is the problem with having companies like Zoom and like Facebook regulate content. It's like, you know, whoever is kind of looking through all the content and flagging things for removal, they, they, they don't have the context, right? That's why you need to have conversations. And you may absolutely disagree about whatever issue is at stake, but you right. need to have some kind of expertise, some kind of knowledge of what you're talking about. Otherwise, what you end up seeing is people removing content who have absolutely no idea what places in the world we're talking about, what history we're referring to. They, you know, they're just like flagging content and, you know, and, and this is actually, this is something else I've but, written about in another context is the use of kind of uh, this, um, groups like that minor these groups that kind of monitor social media uh for uh, essentially to look for criminal activity or potential right. criminal activity in, in a different context not in a political uh context and they also are very much you know a bunch of guys sitting in a room looking at computers that have no cultural connection to the people whose facebook pages they're kind of looking through no understanding of, of how you know particularly like in, in some cities how like youth culture works and so they're flagging everyone as a potential right. alleged gang member based on a photo that somebody paid, you know, posted on Facebook with no understanding. And, and that is why we can't have companies like Facebook and Zoom kind of make those calls for us. So they, they, take a, they, they look at a post and they don't even look at it in context. They just see a word exactly. or a name and they just say, oh, I, you know, we can't have that name. That person is a bad person. But you don't even know, they don't even care what you're saying about it, it seems. Your article in the internet, which we're going to talk about, we'll, we'll, let's get into the details after our break in a minute. Um, but because I want people to understand these principles that are so important, it's not about whether uh, you're a good person or a bad person. It's about the person censoring you. Are they a good person? Are they the bad person? Because they can censor anybody they want. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, what's interesting is that you, you mentioned earlier, you know, as a Palestinian journalist, you know that there is censorship, you've experienced it yourself. And, and I think, you know, a, a lot of people may not kind of have paid a lot of attention to the story we'll be discussing because it is about a censorship of, of a Palestinian event. And uh, but, but really what the, light, the legal arguments and, the, and the, uh, that Zoom is making in this case and Facebook and, and um, YouTube as well. I mean, those are arguments that could be applied in any context and particularly right now in the U.S. when we have the president and others essentially label any kind of uh, activist group that's, you know, in opposition to their policies, a terrorist group. I mean, we've had the president talk about Black Lives Matter as terrorists and Antifa as terrorists. So when you set the kind of precedent um, with, you know, with censorship of Palestinian discourse on the basis that it is, quote unquote, terrorist speech, then you really are kind of walking down a very slippery slope where you risk and you may very well end up being um, labeling everybody and then censoring everybody that's raising a, a kind of like a, a dissident opinion. 
Yeah, I have no problem with somebody saying, oh, Ray Hanania, you're a supporter, a terrorist, um, as long as we can discuss it and debate it equally, as yeah. long as the audience can hear all sides. I got no problem with it. I, I, you know, I don't really like a lot of what President Trump has done, um, but what really bothers me has been the media, I, in my opinion, the media bias they don't like them, so they've taken it to a real extreme extent that to me is not about Trump at all. It's about journalism. Mm -hmm. And to see Twitter, every time he posts something, and I don't agree with what he says, but every time I see Twitter post something, it's upsetting to me. Who are they to say I, this idea that there's never been election fraud? I'm not saying that there is, but we can't have a debate about it. We can't have a discussion about it. I don't think people realize that what's happening is cutting into the fundamental rights that they think they have as Americans, and they're being distracted by the topic that is on the screen. They think it's about Trump and his craziness. No, I mean, that's a whole different story. It's about whether one person at Twitter is going to decide that what you said is right or wrong, and they're going to make you look good or bad. We're going to take a quick break here. I'm Ray Hanania here December 11, 2020 on the Ray Hanania Show, and we are talking with Alicia Sperry, who is a writer and uh, a really good writer with The Intercept. She's done some great stories there. Um, she wrote a story this uh, past week um, on The Intercept called Zooms and focused on Zoom which is a new form of, which we're on right now. I'm surprised we better finish the show before they figure out we're talking about them. Zoom censorship of Palestine seminars, which are supposed to be about education. It sparks a fight over academic freedom. We're going to get into that right after this break that we're going to take. Um, I'm Ray Hanania. This is the Ray Hanania show on WNZK AM 690 on the U.S. Arab Radio Network. Um, I'm here on the second Friday of every month, and after January, I should be back on every Wednesday morning, uh, sponsored by the Arab News newspaper and other sponsors. We're taking a little holiday break to get everything all set up. The technology, obviously, is, a, is really a problem, but uh, it's just managing it, and I will get that managed. We're going to take a break, and we will be right back right after these messages. Read the Arab News newspaper for the latest on the U.S. elections, the battle for president, and breaking news and unique stories on Arabs in America and the world online at arabnews.com. The Arab News newspaper is the leading English-language newspaper in the Arab world with editions in France, Pakistan, Japan, Dubai, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and bureaus in London, New York, and Chicago. Join the more than 5 million people who follow the Arab News on Facebook online at arabnews.com. And welcome back to the Rayhan and Ia show here on WNZK AM 690 radio broadcast out of Detroit um, and through the Internet, uh, a world that is probably more censored than anything that we can possibly dream of. Um, we're brought to you every second Tuesday of the month here in Detroit at 8 a.m. in Chicago at 7 a.m., 1 p.m. in London. Um, and we are broadcasting live on Facebook at facebook.com US slash US Arab Radio. Um, so you can listen to us, obviously, in Detroit on the radio station there. And you can also listen to us, thanks to the miracle of uh, the Internet, uh, anywhere in the world. We do have listeners in uh, Dubai and occupied Jerusalem and in London. Some people might call London occupied London. I don't know. We're really uh, fortunate this morning to have a, a great writer, Alice Sperry. Uh, she's with The Intercept. And their website is theintercept.com. She wrote an, a really interesting uh, uh, story that caught my eye about Zoom. Now, Zoom and her lead just touches right on it. No one, few companies have benefited from the coronavirus pandemic as much as Zoom. That is the understatement, Alicia. I think they went from $2 a share to like $800 a share overnight because it is the only way, one of the best ways. There's several other platforms. 
And we thought, wow, thank you, Zoom, for giving us this instrument so I could talk to my friend Alice, a fellow journalist, um, wherever she's at, and not worry about getting infected with the coronavirus. And then all of a sudden, bam, they come down and they start censoring and interrupting. They literally could cut us off if they wanted to, correct? I mean, technically, yes, they, their argument was that they reserve the right to shut down a seminar for any reason or no reason at all. And that is a quote. <laughs> even though I paid, even though I paid, you know, to get their, uh, there's like $150 to use the Zoom platform every year and then $300 to use the expanded Zoom platform so people can watch us. I'm paying them $450 a year just so they can abuse me. You that know, is like, a very interesting point you raise, actually. I have a free account. <laughs> I don't have the pro account. But but this university, because the censorship we're talking about happened at a number of universities, they have huge contracts with Zoom, right? I mean, they yeah. are running. They, the first university to be cens- censored was San Francisco State University, which is part of the California um, university system. They have something like 480,000 students who are currently taking almost all of their classes on Zoom, which really kind of gives you a sense of, you know, the dominance of this company in, in the life of this university. Overnight. And I was not able to get, uh, yeah, I was not able to get um, information about, you know, the, the financial component of this contract, but I, I can only imagine how, you know, if you pay a hundred so, and something. What and they, just, what and not to interrupt you, but so just to make that point really clear to put a little, uh, you know, uh, uh, pin in it, um, these universities are paying Zoom a fortune so that they can make Zoom available to their systems. And suddenly Zoom just steps in and says, hey, uh, you got a program at your school um, that we don't like and uh, we're not going to let it happen. Tell us what happened in this one case. In this one case, this was um, a seminar that was organized at San Francisco State University, and it was supposed to happen on September 23rd. Um, And it was a seminar organized by two professors there and one of the guests uh, one of the guest speakers on this seminar was Leila Khaled, who, um, for listeners who may not know about her, she is a 76-year-old now Palestinian activist, uh, very well known, of course, to Palestinians. Uh, I think I, I have one of her. I think I have one of her books on my library here because I'm from the 70s, the of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, so I know who she is. But you're right; a lot of people may not know who she is. Absolutely. I think everyone in your generation, Palestinian or not, has yes. at the very least heard about her. Uh, people my generation, maybe not as much. Uh, but she, uh, you know, she's a member of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, the PFLP, which is a, a resistance group and, po- and political party in Palestine, which the U.S. government lists as a foreign terrorist organization, along with many, many, many other groups right. around the world. And, uh, and Leila Khaled is possibly best known for her role in two plane hijackings in 1969 and 1970. She is known as the first female hijacker, which kind of, you know, gave her worldwide recognition, uh, whether people thought of her as a terrorist or as a feminist icon, she is certainly known. Um, And since then, you know, this is, uh, we're talking about for 50 years ago almost, but since then, uh, Leila Khaled has been very involved with liberation movements worldwide, not just in uh, the Palestinian one. Um, and she was a number, one of a number of speakers that was invited by two professors at San Francisco State. As soon as word of this event got out, there was a very strong, very well-coordinated campaign pressure that was put on the university to cancel the seminar. That didn't work. And so these groups really started putting their pressure on Zoom itself. And, and this was something new. We've seen groups pressure Facebook, pressure Twitter in the past. But as Zoom, as you said, you know, has kind of overnight become this dominating company, they are for the first time dealing with this sort of organized pressure. So this was really the first known incident. Um, And I imagine because of how it played out, there will be many more now. But basically what happened, Zoom um, canceled the seminar, warned the professors, warned the university that the event was not just against its terms of service, which, um, as I said earlier, Zoom kind of reserves the right to shut down content for any reason. But what they really argued here was that the event was possibly criminal and it was in violation of U.S. terror laws and specifically material support for terrorism laws. And and that is a very kind of problematic and sort of it's a bit of a stretch of a legal argument they made there. And we can get into that a little bit more later. But the university responded to this by essentially caving. I mean, Zoom decided they were going to cancel the 
the class, the seminar, and the university said we disagree, but we can't do anything about it. And, uh, and, and that's, that's, ama- that's what a- happened. And that's amazing to me because I, you know, like I would be upset if they canceled this show. I'm paying for that. I'm paying for the right. They, you know, so, uh, and then now I'm thinking that do these social media, are they in a category where they're like a public utility? Because government has the responsibility to and the power to go into a public utility like uh, ComEd and say, hey, you can't shut down service to African-Americans just because you don't like them. Um, Maybe the same principle applies to Zoom. And I know this is a new area, but were you able to explore that aspect at all? So I've talked to a number of people and and I think this story is not over in a way. I mean, there are a lot of university groups and uh, there is a, a group of a national group of university professors that's really kind of picking up this fight around this because it's a new situation. I think it presents a lot of legal questions that just haven't been discussed before. So I think we are going to see, uh, you know, attorneys take this up in in the following months and years if it discontinues to happen. Uh, One of the big disappointments on part of the professors I spoke with is that they felt the universities had a lot of power in their hands to do more. Yes, Zoom owns the platform, but the universities, you know, first of all, have these massive contracts for with Zoom, so they could simply threaten to, you know, withdraw their business. Uh, but also, they have, you know, big endowments. They have um, counsel. They have kind of, you know, the name and reputation. And so they really could have used their positions to to fight right. this, and they didn't. I think should Zoom continue to do this? And basically, what happened, I think, is both the university and Zoom thought this would happen and just go away and nobody right. would really talk about it because right. it's Palestine and who cares? And, you know, there's kind of like a tendency to dismiss it. And uh, thank and you to The inter- Intercept and Alicia Sperry <laughs> and uh, your co-writer, uh, Sam Biddle, for pointing it out because, honestly, uh, when it comes to social media censorship, I didn't think of Zoom. It was the first time I'd ever heard of Zoom now engaging. So anything that has to do with the Internet communications is basically social media they can do whatever they want to us you know i think of social media as facebook and twitter but it's not it's anything where i interact with somebody else on the internet there's a pattern something needs to be done did you get any reaction from anybody in not about the substance of the issue you know we're not debating whether Layla khalid was a terrorist wasn't a terrorist i happen to like her i understand what she did in in the context of what she did um but from the issue of censorship i i'm hoping your article and by doing the show that we kind of stimulate a better understanding of that's the real threat absolutely and and that was really the point of the article like i you know i kind of gave a little bit of context about Layla khalid for people who don't know her but it is absolutely not not my point to right. determine whether or not, or you know, to to kind of um, express judgment on Leila Khalid one way or another, and and that is really not the point, and that is also not the point that the professors and the, and the legal groups that have kind of stood up against this are are making. Like they are not interested in kind of debating Leila Khalid's role. What they're interested in is Zoom. Does Zoom have the authority? Should Zoom have the authority? to determine what is and what isn't acceptable, not just acceptable speech between, you know, two friends that call each other on Zoom, but academic speech. Like, can Zoom decide what professors can teach? And in this case, you know, the question gets even more complicated because San Francisco State is a public university, which, you know, adds kind of like an additional layer of... uh, The whole whole issue of uh, these 26 states that have passed laws that says... You can't boycott a foreign country, one specific foreign country, and it's a whole other topic, Israel, because of their apartheid racist policies. But, um, you know, so if I do business with the state of Illinois, the state of Illinois can say, oh, you you support the boycott. We're going to cancel your contract. And I'm going, what does it have to do with my contract to repair your computers? Uh, Alicia, we have to take one more break here. And I know that you're under the gun because you have to take care of other matters. Um, But let's get this out of the way and we'll finish a few minutes after I know that you're on limited time. It's Friday, December 11th, and I'm Ray Hanania here at the Ray Hanania Show. My guest on the line is Alicia Sperry, and she is a writer uh, with The Intercept, and the website is theintercept.com. It's a great news source um, to go to to get some great stories. She wrote a phenomenal story about how Zoom is using censorship 
to decide what can and cannot be broadcast on a tool that we pay for. So we're going to take a quick break here at the Ray Hanania Show at WNZK AM 690 Radio, broadcast out of Detroit, uh, all over the world on radio and on the Internet at Facebook.com slash U.S. Arab Radio. Uh, hopefully we're still on. I'm watching, so Facebook hasn't bigfooted us or crunched us down. But we're going to take a break, and we're going to be right back right after these messages. Water covers 71% of the world, and the Arab News newspaper covers the rest. With breaking news from across the Arab and Muslim world, and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the headlines with expert analysis and insight at ArabNews.com. Join 5 million Facebook fans who stay in touch with the Arab News, the Arab world's leading English-language newspaper, online at ArabNews.com. And welcome back to the Ray Hanania Show here at WNZK AM 690 Radio, broadcast out of Detroit. I'm Ray Hanania, your host. Uh, my web- website is Hanania.com, and it'll open up the whole world of Ray Hanania's uncensored views about everything from Palestine all the way to Chicago politics. I covered Chicago City Hall for 20 years, um, and uh, um, also uh, the Middle East. Uh, so I got these mainstream columns and Middle East columns, and people are always confused about me, but and the older I get, there's no way that I can explain it. So go to Hanania.com. You can kind of figure out what the heck I do and how I make a living. We're on the line with a great writer, uh, Alice Sperry. Um, she is with The Intercept, and she recently wrote a story about censorship uh, on social media and including things that sometimes you don't think of as social media. You think of it as a uh, utility that you pay for, Zoom. Uh, the Intercept is at theintercept.com. She co-wrote it with Sam Biddle. Um, I would have loved to have had everybody on, but of course on radio it gets crowded. So Alice, we, please tell Sam we appreciate what both of you have done. And we appreciate you coming on talking about this. I know you only have a few minutes left, but tell us any other thoughts that you have about the story that we haven't touched on that are most important. Well, I think there's a lot. I mean, so what happened after the first instance of censorship, which was this one seminar at San Francisco State University that was going to have Leila Khaled as a guest speaker, about a month after that, you know, there was a lot of outrage in the academic community around this, this incident. And so all of these universities, mostly in the U.S., some in Europe, organized this event on Zoom um, where they basically were going to discuss Zoom censorship of Leila Khaled. This time, Leila Khaled herself was not going to be on as a speaker. The students and the professors were going to show videos of her. There was a pre-recorded message by Leila So this Khaled. was just about a topic. This was exactly. not even so about a... You can't even really happened. You can't have a discussion about a topic is basically what Zoom said. Do you think they misunderstood it? Or they just understood what they were doing? I think what happened is because some of the seminars did happen and some got shut down. I think what happened is each individual university advertised its seminar. And so if there was an opposition group on that campus, a Zionist group, a group that put pressure on, on Zoom, then that's, that event got shut down. So for instance, New York University, which has been kind of like the site of a lot of these fights over you know Palestinian speech on campus, it's been sued by the, the federal government. It, it's kind of a place that has a very strong pro-Israel presence and also a very strong um, pro-Palestine, pro-Palestinian rights presence. So I think that event got shut down because there was noise around it. Um, and so I think, and that is, you know, to go back to what I was saying earlier, Zoom is not really out there looking for content to, to censor. They are just responding to outrage. Right. And we just have this very well-organized uh, Zionist groups that are kind of really putting in a lot of work to get these events shut down. And this could have been one of the first controversies they probably faced involving content, I bet. It was. And I think they were kind of scrambling on how to address it. And I, the fact that the response was so inconsistent reveals that. And what many professors said is, you know, this is not about Leila Khaled. This is not about Palestine. This should really concern anyone in any academic institution right now. And I actually, I filed a request for public records and I got some uh, internal records from San Francisco State Universities where some professors were saying, if Zoom is allowed to do this, this could entirely derail all of our teaching. I mean, they could decide that they want to, you know, cancel a chemistry class for whatever reason. They, they, there is, you know, it's not about the content; it's about whether Zoom 
Shirpur should not have the authority to decide what professors can teach at a university. Um, so anyway, this, this new round of events got canceled. Uh, some of them, not all. And I think what happened, you know, that only grew the controversy further. And so now we have a lot more scrutiny on Zoom. And I think they will certainly think through their legal arguments a little more carefully next time. Uh, also because their original argument was having Leila Khaled on would uh, mean you're violating uh, right. material support for terrorism laws. Having a bunch of students talk about Leila Khaled, I mean, that's just any class. Like, can we not talk about, you know... Yeah, it's- I, I wonder European if this history is, anymore because of what the content was. I mean, it's, do you think a big company like Zoom is embarrassed by their stupidity and their dumb act? I mean, they're basically saying, "Oh, uh, oh, Leila Khaled isn't going to be on. You're just going to be talking about her." Uh, did they apologize? Did they? They issue did not anything? apologize. They did not. They defended their right to shut down events, um, wow. and they actually did wow. not even respond. So, what happened, for instance, um, one student at the University of Leeds in the UK, he organized an event, and uh, Zoom sent him an automated email telling him that his event had successful. He had successfully canceled his event, which of course he had not done, and then they shut down his account, and they wow. never responded to him. And he actually just moved the event over to a different Zoom account from, you know, by a different group. And in, basically, just in order to avoid detection by Zoom, he canceled the event name from, you know, Zoom censorship of Leila right. Khaled to just meeting, which really kind right. of tells you if there is no system in place yet yeah. to, to handle this. They probably uh, have... Figuring out. They probably have a million people who count dollars and profits and maybe two people that deal with substantive issues. Uh, Layla, any final thoughts? Because I know that you're under the gun to do some stuff here. But uh, just uh, Alicia uh, Sperry uh, uh, is with The Intercept at TheIntercept.com. Uh, Alicia, any final thoughts or words? And, you know, there will be so much to say. But I think it, it, what's fascinating to me about this story is to realize how so much of our life has moved online because of the pandemic and before that and how much we are giving up uh, and how much we're really handing to these large companies that have no reason to be accountable to anyone and have no kind of, there's no pressure on them to be accountable to anyone. Uh, And they just kind of get to decide what you and I can talk about, what a professor can teach at a university. And I think it's something that everyone really should be much more concerned about. Fortunately, there's your publication, The Intercept, to bring it out to the public so we even know about it because I didn't read about this in many other places. And we have a radio show that at least has some consideration for Arabs that we're human beings too, like the rest of the world. So we don't know. Alicia Sperry, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Oh, no, it was a lot of fun. (laughs) And I apologize for the little uh, uh, stumbles here with the technology in the very beginning. But I do appreciate you hanging on and sticking with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You too. All right. That was Alicia Sperry with The Intercept. Um, You can go to their website at theintercept.com. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take our final break, and then when we come back, we'll open the lines to uh, uh, callers and uh, also on Facebook. Uh, If you want to post a question or a comment, you can go ahead and do that at U.S. Arab Radio on Facebook. You can just go there to facebook.com slash U.S. Arab Radio. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to be right back right after these messages. And welcome back to the Ray Hanania Show here at WNZK AM 690 Radio based out of Detroit. I'm Ray Hanania. Uh, I'm here on the second Tuesday. uh, I keep saying Tuesday. The second Friday of uh, every month and occasionally on a Friday filling in for some of the great hosts that uh, Layla Al-Husseini has on Radio Bellity and the U.S. Arab Radio Network. Um, She does a great job and uh, uh, we appreciate it. I'm based in Chicago, so I'm connecting by Zoom, as a matter of fact. Um, And we were just talking with Alice Sperry. Um, from The Intercept, uh, an online publication that I urge you to follow and read. It's a great place to get information. The Intercept did a story on Zoom and its first instance, apparently, of censorship. Um, the couple of universities were uh, having seminars talking about history. Um, and uh, it was the subject of history that Zoom didn't like. So they shut it down at these universities that are paying big money to Zoom. Who is Zoom to sit there and say 
that uh, you can or can't talk about a topic. Uh, and I think in this case, Zoom, and they didn't apologize. They didn't recognize their error. But the truth is that uh, Zoom took a topic. Um, and that's how, that's part of the problem about political debate. We get too distracted by the secondary issue. They were, they, Zoom was upset because the topic was Layla Khalid who uh, was the uh, first female quote-unquote terrorist. She was actually a hijacker. She hijacked the plane, um, I think, t once or twice um, in protest of Israel's uh, oppression back in the, God, it had to be in the 60s or 70s. Um, and a, a historical moment uh, when the Palestinians were engaged in uh, armed resistance against Israel's military. Um, so, yeah, one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter. Um, George Washington was a terrorist to the British. He's a hero to us. So, you know, there's a right for you and I to debate that topic. Um, but once this was put up there, um, the universities decided that, oh, no, no, you can't have her on. Her on meaning you can't even talk about her uh, because the U.S. government um, has declared that the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, which she was part of, is a quote-unquote terrorist organization. Um, so that's very disturbing. And I get into this a lot with uh, readers of uh, my columns, the Middle East columns and the mainstream columns. Um, when, For example, when I say that, uh, you know, I criticize Twitter for censoring President Trump. Now, it's not about President Trump. <laughs> Yes, he's done some stupid, crazy things. He's done some good things, but he's done some stupid, crazy things. I think he's nuts sometimes. He gets on there on Twitter and he says some of the most imbecilic blathering I've ever seen. And then on the other hand, he's done some really good things. So that is what I consider engageable. We should be able to talk about that. Uh, we should be able to debate it. You should have your opinion. You don't like him or you like him. Uh, that's not the point. But to me, the issue isn't Trump. The issue is that Twitter has decided that they're going to flag any comment that Trump makes about voter fraud and say that this is, you know, and put a little label like on cigarettes. You know, they put cigarette smoking can be cancer, uh, you know, can cause cancer and could be hazardous to your health. Um, so that discourages people from smoking cigarettes. It's the same thing. Twitter puts this disclaimer on here that, oh, uh, the president's uh, tweet is disputable and is unproven and is false. Um, and they make these categoric judgments about things that, honestly, I don't know if they're untrue. We have voter fraud all over the country all the time. This isn't about President Trump. This is about voting and efforts by politicians to steal elections. They do that all the time. This idea that, that uh, it wasn't done in 220, but it's done every other election, but just not in the 220, the November uh, 3rd, 220 election. There's no voter fraud in that election. And I'm thinking, who's the imbecile at Twitter who makes that claim? They're more imbecilic than anything that I've disliked about what Trump has said. Um, so, and Trump is a politician. He has a right to say whatever he wants. And if you don't think that uh, um, there's voter fraud, you can argue back. That's the whole thing about free speech. We have the right to talk about it. Um, but they're not allowing that to happen. Who is Twitter to tell us what we can or cannot talk about? Who is Facebook to sit there and provide a service to profit from it and then exploit us uh, at their leisure, uh, take our information and not tell us, and then make billions, hundreds, what is it, $900 billion? I don't even know what the value is. And then if I say something they don't like, they can just cut me off. They could cancel my account. They could shut me down. Uh, I have 5,000 friends, no explanation of my friends. Uh, there's a certain line that I don't think social media has the right to cross. They do not have the right to profit from us and control us. They have a right to, you know, address serious issues. Like, of course, 
if someone is trying to organize violence, yes, that's a completely different story. But if somebody's calling me a name and I don't like it, it's not up to Facebook to decide if it's right or wrong. It's up to me to use that information and go after the person who says it. People say stuff about me all the time. I don't care. You know, and uh, because as a journalist, the more they talk about you, the better it is. There's no such thing as bad publicity. They can say good things. They can say bad things all they want. It doesn't matter. Um, and uh, so the issue isn't um, what it isn't the topic. The only time it is important is if you're actually organizing and trying to commit an act of violence. And in that case, it's up to the police, not to Facebook. Facebook should flag it and alert the police and let the police decide, are they really engaged in violence? Um, let them decide. But everything outside of it, this whole idea that, oh, you said something racist. Racist is subjective. Um, you know, African-Americans, to them, racism is anything that's against black people. But racism isn't just restricted to discrimination against people of you know uh, from africa um who are african-american racism also includes discrimination against arabs as a race it includes discrimination against asians it includes discrimination against native americans we could have that debate you may not agree with me but hey you're entitled to your opinion and so am i um that's not something that should be censored and yet that's exactly what's happening Zoom is the latest social media. Now, I've switched from Facebook to MeWe, M-E-W-E.com. MeWe is an uncensored uh, social media platform where I now post, and I've just started, so I'm building up a following there little by little. If you want to follow me, you go to MeWe. They do not censor. At least they say they don't. Although it's interesting because it's considered a quote uh, haven for conservatives have flocked there because of the bias from Facebook and Twitter. But I'm not really a, a right wing fanatic like a lot of the people that are on that system. I'm more of a centrist. I'm a conservative Democrat. I, I'm Arab. I you know I, the Arab culture is conservative. That's the way we are. Sorry if you don't like it. You know, I have certain views about different things um, that we may or may not agree about. But, you know, I, my uh, father and his uncle and my uncle um, and I and my brother, we served in the military uh, of this country to protect our right and your right to have a difference of opinion and to be able to express that opinion. So I find it as a right that should never be compromised. And I certainly don't think that Zoom or Facebook or Twitter have a right to censor anything that I say. And if there's something that I say that is dangerous, um, call the police. If I've libeled somebody, if I've said something, you know, like the libel law involves accusing somebody of uh, uh, sexual acts or the use of drugs or committing a crime. If I say you committed a crime, um, if I talk about you, if you're a private person, you know, I've crossed the line and you could sue me. But if you're a politician, there's only a very limited window of what you can sue a person for, you know, for criticism. Um, but that's decided not by Facebook. That's decided by the courts. You take it to the court system. That's where you go with it. You don't take it to Facebook and say, ah, we don't need to use the legal system. We'll just use Facebook justice. We'll use Twitter justice. Um, we'll decide. I mean, it's kind of a form of tyranny. Isn't that why we criticize countries in the Middle East? Isn't that why we criticize countries in the third world? Because the government says, oh, uh, we love our citizens only when they shut up and they don't say anything. I, I think that's wrong. And that's not democracy. That's certainly not freedom. Um, and free speech is the fundamental basis of true democracy you can't have free you can't have democracy if you don't have free speech and that's a problem when i criticize israel the government of israel here in illinois there's a law that says that i can't boycott israel but hell with them i'll boycott israel and boycott their government i don't boycott the israeli 
uh, people or the Jewish people, I boycott the settlements, the Israeli settlements. They're illegal. They're racist. Any product made by them is illegal and racist, and I won't support them. I will boycott that. Now, do I boycott the country of Israel? No, I don't boycott it uh, because I believe in peace based on two states. And as much as I disagree with the government's policies, um, I'm going to engage that government and tell them what I think about what they're doing, good or bad. But when it comes to the settlements, I consider the settlements terrorist organizations um, that are stealing things from Christians and Muslims, and I'm not going to support them. And I have a right to boycott them, and I am going to boycott them, and I do boycott them. I will not buy anything that's made on an Israeli settlement because that's stolen um, by people who take that land, harvest the land, um, harvest the food, the olives, the whatever the fruit is that they're growing on that land, and then they sell it for their own profit. Um, that's like me coming to your house, uh, subjugating you or kicking you out, and then I turn your house into a hotel, and I rent it out, and I make a massive amount of profits from renting out your property to other people, and but I prevent you from going there. That's illegal. That's wrong, and I would hope that people would boycott that. So um, these are some of the issues we're talking about. Um, we're at the end of the show, but if you want to follow uh, what I do, you go to hananiah.com, H-A-N-A-N-I-A, hananiah.com. It has links to my Middle East columns at the Arab News, which is the leading English language uh, newspaper in the Middle East. It's a great newspaper, and uh, I love the Saudis. I support the Saudis. I think they've done more for the Palestinians than any other Arab country. Although I know that some radicals don't like the Saudis, that's their problem. It's not my problem. Um, we have a right to discuss it. They have a right to criticize. Um, but I think the Saudis have done more for the Palestinians than anybody, more so than Syria, more so than Iraq, more so than the Iranians. And that government is horrible. So before you criticize the Saudis, um, I hope you're way in front criticizing the Iranian terrorists. I'm Ray Hanania. Go to my website at Hanania.com. I want to thank Leila Al-Husseini and the U.S. Arab Radio Network for hosting our show the second Friday of every month. We'll be back uh, next month. In the meantime, have a Merry Christmas, have a Happy Hanukkah, and have a Happy New Year. I'm Ray Hanania. Talk to you later, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Arab Street Radio and Podcast. I'm Ray Hanania. We've had a discussion of all the issues facing Arabs in America and the Middle East, from Israel to Palestine, Syria, and more. Visit www.hanania.com to get more information on all of my podcasts and on my award-winning opinion columns.